0: This is a Chronicle Podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine.
1: From the Chronicle Podcast System, this is the NPC Podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for February 7, 2024. The NPC Podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process, and people, and today we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress-tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Today's guest is Aldona Armstrong of UCB Pharma. She will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. To start today's
2: conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC Podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Here with you again in our podcast, Gondola, overlooking the heritage site known as Pill Hill, near where Pepsid Place crosses the Allen Rock Trail. If you stick with us today until the end of this podcast, we'll have some information for you about the first NPC webinar of 2024, which is about to occur on February 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I think that over the many years we've been enchanting listeners with this podcast, we've used up our entire supply of references to Groundhog Day. Both the annual events in Punxsutawney, PA and Wyarton, Ontario, as well as the classic motion picture, so our cupboard is bare. But in the search for new material, we always turn to our co-host, James Shea, General Manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, you've been selected as the most Bill Murray-like of our cast. Uh, Do you have any fresh Groundhog Day content for us?
0: Well, didn't I already fax that over to you a couple of times?
2: Haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> Groundhog Day reference noted. Yes. Well well done. And that's our cue to bring in Mr. Mark McElwain, the pharmaceutical industry consultant and health policy expert. Mark, now that uh, Jim has been assigned the role of Bill Murray, I don't know what's left for you and me. I would prefer to avoid raising the subject of Chris Elliott.
3: Yeah. Fresh material on Groundhog Day is not really possible by definition. But since you raised Chris Elliott, You know, it's true that I learned only this week that his father, Bob, was one half of the famous comedy duo, Bob and Ray, which will explain some of Elliot's offbeat characters. Maybe some of our listeners will remember the very dry humor from Bob and Ray from their radio routines uh, when they were everywhere, even on CBC radio in the afternoon, back in the day when the CBC
2: was still relevant. Radio gods, yeah, I think we follow in their footsteps. I guess uh, this is Wally Ballou coming to you from the scene of the crime. Funny stuff. Anyway, we are, we are not Wally Ballou. We are your all-seasons NPC podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the best region-specific names have already been claimed, such as Boston Cream Donuts, the Boston Celtics, and Boston, famous for recording more than a feeling. So let's welcome to the gondola, our friend, Aldona Armstrong, A2, come on in. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello, great to have you. So you are the commercial solutions lead immunology at UCB Pharma. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the organization and its current vision?
4: Happy to share a little bit about UCB because we're a little bit less well known than the bigger companies. We've been around almost a hundred years, Belgian based. And our areas of focus are neurology and immunology. We operate in 36 countries around the world and we have almost 9,000 employees. The other thing to note about UCB is we invest about 30% of our revenues back into R&D. So that's great. Our purpose as a company is to create value for patients now and into the future. This sounds like a generic statement that all pharma companies make, but I would argue that UCB is different in how it translates vision into practice i'm now at my seventh pharma company in my 25 plus year career and at my last company i remember talking about how you know we were you know particularly focused on patients at that company and my colleague who'd previously worked at ucb said uh, this company is not patient focused i'll tell you about a patient focused company and she proceeded to describe ucb so of course at the time i was very offended (laughs) but i got over myself and now that i've joined ucb i understand what she means so we don't have what we call business units we have patient value units and i think the nomenclature is important so when we have a business decision to make and we need to figure out the best way forward we always ask what's going to be best for patients like we talk about that so i would have to say that this is the first pharma company i've worked for that truly puts patients at the center of everything we do. And I found it to be really inspiring. So that's a little bit about UCB.
0: That's very interesting. is Jim here. Let's go a little further into that. And um, there's always been, or certainly more recently, a lot of focus on patient advocacy also, the ethics involved, moral and and ethical situations. So what role does UCB play in uh, ethical considerations and patient advocacy and marketing uh, within, let's say, the immunology sector space?
4: Well, Like most pharma companies, you know, we adhere to the industry standards and guidelines, you know, IMC, PAB, things like that. And what I really like about pharmaceutical marketing is that it challenges me to be creative within a very limited framework. So when I started my career on the agency side of the business, I initially had clients selling beer and running shoes and baked beans, and you had more leeway to communicate product features and benefits, but it really wasn't that challenging for me. So I like the guardrails of the drug industry, but that said, I think many of our self-imposed restrictions are a little bonkers. So, for example, and here I'll just stand on my soapbox, you have to stay so close to part three of the monograph in your patient communications and materials that sometimes you risk, you know, miscommunication. And this is because product monographs are not always written in the most accessible language for people. And PAB is really stringent about patient communications. So one of the memories that stands out for me the last time I was at an agency, as I was working with PAB to get some patient materials approved for a client with a product in the allergy space. And the comment came back from the reviewer that said that the patient photo that we put on the front cover was unacceptable because it looked like the patient was breathing deeply and that implied a claim. So that, you know, left me to be like, Am I supposed to find a patient photo where they don't look like they're breathing? So this is the kind of madness that I want us to change in our industry. If I had the answer for how to do that, I would have done it by now. I think it's a very challenging thing to do. But at the same time, sometimes we go so far down the rabbit hole of ensuring that things are safe and compliant and that we're not miscommunicating and we're sticking straight to the official version of this product that we risk you know not being there for patients so
0: right that's interesting that begs a question things like okay advancement in technology and, and how you know you can support patients uh, in the patient-centric model or whatever you want to call uh, yours at uh, ubc so how are you now using technology to leverage uh, you know improve patient support and 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 patient outcomes I'm going to answer that question in three buckets. So UCB
4: is a very scientific company, and that's kind of how it was based. And so they're less businessy and more scientific. There's a lot of new technology in the discovery area of our business. Beyond the molecules that are in development now in our product pipeline, we've got more than 140 global academic partnerships. We fund more than 12 early stage biotech companies and have over 100 projects in development to make a positive impact on society. So, I wanted to just say we know we can't do it alone. We're not that big of a company. And I really believe in our company's philosophy of partnership and collaboration. And for a mid sized organization like us, we have like three research centers, four satellite research centers, and seven development sites. So, to be honest, UCB is full of science folks and that science and technology and and creating better molecules you know i love that as a business person secondly there are innovations beyond the pill so beyond finding treatments and cures for diseases and we have commitment to access commitment to supporting healthcare infrastructure And I'll be able to speak about that more in the future, but I will say that in the last year, we've hired a person in Canada in a global role that is working on a pilot project in Ontario to transform access to healthcare. This is really exciting. I think this is really exciting because we can work with the government to make it easier for patients to be triaged or to get to the right specialist or avoid those delays in treatment that we hear about, especially any of us that are bringing new molecules to the market, It's just sad that some people are waiting seven years, five years to find the right diagnosis. And this type of patient solution will incorporate new technology. It has to, the way, you know, Ontario's healthcare system works. And I think that's going to be really helpful to patients. And then the third bucket is probably what you actually were asking for. And that is like day-to-day operations. How are we using tech to communicate with physicians and patients? And we use things like email, apps, webinars, any digital technology that our patient support program can get their hands on to ensure that, you know, we've harnessed everything that we can to support patients. And where I work in the biologic space, patient support programs are paramount and Canadians are, you know, at the top of the most digitally savvy people in the world. The bar is high, you know, in Canada. And Patients don't want to call a 1-800 number and wait to hear back from someone to get the information they want. They want to text somebody, they want an interactive website. Something that's really convenient to them. We're trying to do everything we can in this space and we need to continue to learn from the consumer product industry, honestly, to see how we can compliantly and ethically adapt that technology to serve our patients.
0: That's a great answer because you're reminding me again about the various levels of technology that points one and two are important. It's not just what you said in point three. So yes, thank you.
3: Well, don't I? It's Mark. So let's shift and talk about developing and working with key opinion leaders. And so I wonder how you approach KOL development in in your field and what strategies you found most effective.
4: So right now, I'm only working with dermatologists, even though I've spent a good chunk of my career in neurology. And as many of us know, different specialties attract different kinds of personalities. And this is the really fun part of our business. What I like about dermatologists in general is that they're very straightforward in what they want from pharma or from their career, how they see things going forward and how they want to be engaged. So you don't have to do a little dance and try to very subtly find out if someone wants to speak at an international congress they will come out and tell you this is my goal for the year this is what i want to do they're not shy and i love that i'm also very lucky because i recently launched a new biologic and the dermatologists are very keen to get as much information as possible and they're very excited to partner my kol strategy at ucb is how can i meet the needs of the derms across the country in a fair and balanced way at the level that they want. And honestly, it's my biggest challenge because you wanna support physicians who wanna publish and speak and work on educational programs, but we only have two marketers in the country on the dermatology side of this brand. And we have to be mindful, like our own internal compliance will always flag it if we've used a particular physician what they deem to be too many times. And it gets more complicated when you have other countries reaching into the Canadian talent pool and say, asking you know, Dr. Ron Vender to go speak in Mexico. And, and I'm like, well, if you're using him in Mexico, that means I only have two times I can use him in Canada. So that kind of stuff is, is tricky. But in my previous roles, mostly with neurologists, my strategy was really to find out what the physician loved and what they wanted to share with their colleagues. And you know what made them tick and then to help them in any way I could. So in MS and epilepsy, we were very lucky in Canada to have so many well-known and respected, you know, on the international stage, KOLs. And that made it just really easy to partner with them and support their goals.
3: That's good. So let's shift to uh, patients, which, you know, should be good for UCB. And if you could share an example of a patient advocacy initiative, which was a success, and tell us about what impact it had
4: when i first joined ucb in 2019 i was working in both rheumatology and dermatology and my product was simsia which was a treatment that was a great choice for women of childbearing age because it was the only biologic that had data that showed it didn't cross the placenta so that was very reassuring to patients and healthcare professionals and i was new to rheumatology for sure and i was thinking about the brand positioning and thinking about also all these amazing patient association folks that i was meeting and i wondered like could we work together for a shared purpose so i reached out to four different organizations that hadn't really worked together much before and basically this is the the birth of something called bearing it all so i had reached out to the canadian arthritis patient alliance the canadian association of psoriasis patients the canadian spondylitis association and the canadian psoriasis network And we launched the Women's Sexual and Reproductive Health Survey on International Women's Day in 2021. And people who identified as female were asked for their experiences and insights about contraception, family planning, sexual health, parenting, menopause, you name it. And almost 450 patients responded, people living with these arthritis or dermatology psoriasis conditions. And the analysis of the responses in the subsequent report were used to make recommendations on a number of areas. And this was really key because, you know, you need that data, you need that experience to share. And some of it was like, you know, the HTA processes should incorporate a sex and gender based analysis to ensure women have access to the right treatment options. Payers need to consider pharmaceutical policies through a sex and gendered lens. And researchers should also consider this lens when looking at access to care access to medication, safety, mental health, pain is a big one, parenting, aging, and then, you know, racialized communities and and LGBTQ. That way, when you look through those lenses, you get the best evidence to inform decision-making. And there was so much valuable information in, in that report. You know, the collaboration among the four patient groups was truly inspiring. So we know that women are underrepresented in clinical research including fewer female clinical trialists and this means we often don't have the data to show the impact of medicine on women's bodies and so this doesn't just apply to women's healthcare areas you know traditional ob territory it actually informs so many different disease states and this report i think gave the regulatory authorities the information they needed to try to address some of these gaps so very proud
2: of that initiative. Sounds like you should be. We're listening to Aldona Armstrong of UCP Pharma here on the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress. So we were chatting just a few minutes ago about some of the many restrictions pharma marketers face. As we know, dermatology is a competitive market. And I'm wondering about some innovative marketing approaches you've implemented to differentiate your biologic. Are there any best practices you could share with us?
4: I think differentiation is the key word there. And I think that when you are in a competitive space and you are a smaller company, you are never going to be able to outspend or out engage. You're not going to have as many people. And so you have to find what works for you and what makes the most sense and then really own that smaller space. And I think, as mentioned before, UCB is patient focused. I know everyone says that, but I think we do it differently. And I think that's where we really stand out. And I think in the DE and I space, too, although physicians tell me they don't think about that sort of thing when they're engaging with companies. But I think the physicians who may come from a more diverse group of people, I think they notice it. And I think they notice that we are engaging with them in the same way that we would engage with top KOLs that may be more traditionally older or male. So I think that is a real key to making a difference, especially when you're this size.
0: Well, uh, it's Jim here back again. And this whole, what you've been discussing is very, very interesting because of the size of UCB, how you're being very patient focused. You know, you're talking about the examples of data acquisition and feedback and decision-making you can't outspend, you have to differentiate, you have to be innovative. So, I mean, maybe I can combine a couple of questions that I had into one. And now is that, you know, you've got this patient-centric approach. You're obviously doing a lot of strategic planning and not just here in Canada, but I'm sure worldwide. Now, how does that planning drive more advancement and improvement in the immunology space? Or, Or you actually said, you know, It doesn't even necessarily have to be in the immunology space. You're finding areas where there's unmet need. Is that going up the flagpole into research? You know, what is this informing, if I want to call it that?
4: So I think strategic planning is key. And I think the more you can have, especially as a Canadian affiliate, the more you can have communication you know with your global colleagues either you know moving up the food chain to the more senior executives in global or just people on your level in different countries who are also facing the same challenges so i like working with european-based pharma because canada has a bigger role canada is seen as a leader all the europeans understand our healthcare system you don't have to spend 50 minutes of your presentation to you know the higher ups explaining how the system works, and every time I try to explain how Canadian healthcare system works, it doesn't get any simpler. <laughs> I don't get any more clear in my presentation. It's complex, so I love talking to the Europeans about this sort of thing, and I think that that taking the time to think is really important, and taking the time to share. I've worked for a lot of smaller companies or companies that are big now, but were small when I worked for them. And when you're isolated and you're not able to collaborate or you're not getting really good solid information from the global team, then you're really left on your own. And it's hard to do anything other than just the basics of providing information. So the more you can have a company that supports sharing information, collaborating to make things stronger. I mean, I just learned about something in Germany a month ago that I'm going to integrate into our Canadian plan now because a lot of similarities between the the German healthcare system and our system. So I think that's really important. And just talking about the difference between working in an agency and working as a brand marketer too, you know, agency folks are paid to think. And that's often why we hire them. We have strat fees and we give consultants money and we're like, would you please think about this? (laughs) And and the problem with brand marketing is there's so much pressure on marketers, especially in Canada, where you have lesser resources and you're expected to do more. And you have so many hurdles and restrictions and guardrails that marketers are often just doing things and just trying to get stuff done and they're not thinking. So I think that's an uh, important part too that. If your organization is set up in a way that there can be more thinking, there can be more innovation. You can bring more tech in. And again, you know, back on my soapbox of DE&I, you know, you can have some of the most smartest brilliant scientific minds sitting around a table and it's great. But if all those people are over 50 and not to diminish that, those great thinking things, they might not be bringing enough of a new technology lens to things that someone who's younger who might not really understand the business or the therapeutic area as much but in the course of their morning commute to the office they've already engaged in like five different technologies that they have at their disposal to apply to your business and also you know i think that with the physicians coming in now they have different expectations of technology and innovation and immediate response from pharma. So I think it's, it's complicated, but I like where I sit in an organization very much supported by Global, very much trying to give us the time
3: to think. Aldona, it's Mark again. So as we wind down the podcast, I'm going to go straight to inviting you to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to your mind in response to each following phrases or words. So are you ready?
4: It's a dangerous game, but I'll play. Yes.
3: Here we go. KOL development. The best, best part of my job. Patient advocacy. Purpose. Specialty marketing. Biologics. Leadership. Service,
4: strategic thinking, fun, <laughs> innovation, everywhere.
3: Well, that's great. I'll, I'll, I'll let uh, Jim give the prizes the way he likes doing that.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, you you, you hit the. Di- I don't know if you heard the gong, but it went all the way up and knocked the bell off our tote board. So, uh, well done. That's another Googleplex of points for you. Congratulations.
4: I love that. I'd love to win a trip to Mexico if I, if I could, if that's on offer. Well, didn't I fax
3: that to you already? The fax machine. <laughs> you need visas now.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I'll tell you, here we go. And there's the piece de resistance now we're expecting. And based on your answers so far in the conversation, it's going to be a. A good one, I'm sure. So it's time to put on our soothsayers hat and uh, enter our prognostication corner. And you can see by the neon sign that we spell uh, corner with a K and it's, it's because we operate on the knife edge all the time. So uh, what bold predictions are you able to make about the life sciences industry uh, for the next 12 to 24 months?
4: The short answer is change, but I think the longer answer is that I think we have many people in our industry, healthcare professionals, government payers, people who all want to make the healthcare system better. And I want that too. We all do. And the pandemic exposed a lot of cracks in the system. And I think that we know it's not just a leaky tap. We know the entire house is going to flood if we don't bring in the plumber soon. But I predict there will be a lot of missteps before we get it right. And that's I think the, the bumpy road is because so much needs to be changed, and when you start pulling at different threads, you realize, oh, there's a problem here, and oh, there's a problem there, right? Just to use that home renovation nightmare story, I mean, we've many of us have been there where you start just doing one simple thing, and it, it has so many different layers, and I think the healthcare system is the same. So I think change management is going to be a very continued sought-after skill. And I think we have to be very patient that we're going to be taking a couple of steps forward and a couple of steps back as we try to move into a future where healthcare is more accessible, medications are more accessible, and the life science industry that supports all of that, you know, there's a lot of transformation going on there too. There's there's companies that are downsizing or reorganization into different you know ways of of working and I think there's going to be some missteps there too but I think if we can just get through it I think ultimately um, you know big change is going to happen and we have to be able to kind of navigate those waters and I'm really hopeful we'll see some change and especially some some fast acting change in the next 12 months but uh, it's not going to be easy
2: No, and I think calling the roto-rooter man is probably not the answer that uh, our health system demands. But listen, A2, thank you for your insights. Those are uh, absolutely great. And I think we're kind of leaving on a uh, really interesting note. Uh, So come on back and join us here again, please. Thank you. Now a word about our live National Pharmaceutical Congress webinar, which will take place Wednesday, February 28th, at 11 a.m. Eastern time. The topic is drawing a line in the ice, could an FDA ruling mean Canada's drug supplies might be diverted south? Priorities in politics south of the border might threaten Canadian patient interests. The question is, how can the life sciences industry leaders unite with policymakers to build awareness and to come up with some proactive measures to uphold access for all? So I guess a broader question would be in our shrunken global village, where do the drugs come from and where are they going? So feel free to ask that question and any others. you'll hear from experts in real time on February 28th at 11 a.m. Register for free at www.pharmacongress.info. So to all of you out there in podcast land, we will be back to speak with you again next week. If you've got questions for Aldona,
1: send an email to health at chronicle.org. We want to know what you thought about today's conversation. Try sending your comment as a voice clip attachment and presto. You might find yourself part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please take a moment to like it, rate it, recommend it, and share it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or just ask Siri or Alexa or Google to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music, or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Laverne Van Buren speaking. Jeremy Visser produced this podcast with help from Rayla Visser. Research for this program came from John Evans and the Chauncey Avenue Gang. The musical theme is performed with steadfast focus by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Lucille Milbrook. We'll be back to speak with you again next week.